So today we're going to begin a new series, and for all of you coffee lovers, Coffee Mug Christianity. You see, the Bible's filled with all these different passages in this scripture that, that we can use to encourage, that we can use that maybe will challenge us, or even sometimes to correct us. Um, you know, and however, I think sometimes we struggle with the context, we struggle with, with some of these passages because... They're just taking so much out of context and they, maybe they confuse the whole message of what we're trying to get. And it's not enough just to place a verse on a coffee mug or, you know, on a T-shirt or a bumper sticker. You know, it, it's nice and easy to do it, but ultimately you got to ask yourself, do I really know what it means? And is it really affecting my life? Has it changed my life or is it doing something to change my life or is it just there because... I happen to like this piece of scripture and I like this coffee mug. You know, so it's something we need to think about. And, and I do need to start this week by asking for forgiveness because uh, apparently I'm a hoarder. Okay, what I did is I, I asked my bride how many coffee mugs we have. Coffee mugs and like, for me, a travel mug is a coffee mug because the only thing I'm ever going to put in it is coffee. So I asked her, you know, well, how many coffee mugs do we have and, and travel mugs? And, and I was a little disturbed. You know, I, I know I use probably five to seven different coffee mugs a week. Well, come to find out we have 49. 49 different coffee mugs or travel mugs. But I am willing to bet that someone in this church right now or someone watching online has more than 49 inside their house. I'm willing to make that bet. So when you get a chance, make sure you count them because I really need to feel better about myself. <laughs> the fact that I have 49 of them and, and thank God I don't have my mom or my grandmother's old china set because it'd be even more coffee mugs or coffee cups inside of it. But, you know, it, I just, I was like blown away. 49, really? Wow, I think we need to put some inside the clothes closet. <laughs> yeah, but, but you think about this. When, when, you, when you go and you buy something, you're getting a coffee mug or a T-shirt for somebody. You think about it, you're looking for that, just that perfect one. Or even sometimes for yourself, all of a sudden it's just like, oh, I got to have this. I really like this mug. I really like this. And we just have to have it, or we look for that perfect mug for the perfect situation. Yeah. You know, I have my share of Marine Corps mugs. You know, we got number one dad mugs, number one mom mugs. You know, got my hurricane mug. You know, we got funny mugs. We got mugs with scripture on it. And we've even got a custom, I got a custom made mug. And this happens to currently be my favorite of all coffee mugs. Because it's got a caricature of me on it. <laughs> so this is currently my favorite coffee mug. And it was given to me by a couple after I performed their wedding. So this is my favorite. Now my second favorite is my coffee mug that has, of course, the church logo on it. But we all have these different mugs. And, and all of us probably have our favorite. You know, there's some people you rarely ever wash the inside of the mug because you need that coffee flavor to continue going and going. I just kind of think that's gross, but there's people who do it. Um, 
But I understand, we, we look for our favorite theme or maybe our favorite Bible verse on top of a mug. And of course, it's not a bad thing. However, you know, then we've got to ask that question. Do I really understand this verse? And more importantly, is it really affecting my life? Has it done something to change my life? So today we're going to be in John chapter 3. And the main verse is going to be John 3.16. So I'd ask you if you don't have a Bible with you, go ahead and there is one in the back of the pew in front of you. I really don't think most of us need to open a Bible to read John 3.16. But I will tell you, we're going to read more of the verses anyway, so you might just want to bookmark it in your, in your Bible. And of course, you know, we, we know what it says. And I'm sorry, but I'm going King James Version here because, you know, that's how I first learned it. So if you would, everyone, please read with me or recite with me John 3.16 in King James Version. You don't have to anyway. So, right, so ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. King James Version. Think about it. Most of us have probably memorized that verse. At some point or another, I remember back when I was doing youth and we'd have competitions on who could memorize the most scripture. And of course, John 3, 16 is one of the first ones all the kids come up with. The other one that they would come up with trying to be slick is John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus wept. You're like, Really? You're going to use Jesus' web? Well, it's a verse in the Bible, Pastor. Okay. But they would come up with John 3, 16, and, and it's amazing what we do for a piece of candy or to win a prize, because that's exactly what it is. But most of us, this was probably one of the first verses most of us ever learned, John 3, 16. And, and it, it's grown so much that you got to ask, do we really understand the context when Jesus said this? When Jesus actually said this, and he said it to Nicodemus, do we actually understand the concept? Do we understand what it is and the whole context behind it? And one of the things I've said before, and I'll say it again, I think it's, it's way too easy for someone to take a piece of scripture or a, just a part of a piece of scripture and twist it. They can twist it, and you could take it and make it mean whatever you want it to mean. And unfortunately, we see that a lot. And that's why one of the things I always say is we use the 10-10 rule or the 20-20 rule. Read the 10 verses or 20 verses before or after to get the full context of what's going on in that verse so that you understand why it was said. Because you think about this, like that golden cross that we people have around their necks on a popular artist. John 3.16 has managed to make its way into culture into pop culture today, it has become this potential beacon for people to ask that question, why am I here? Why am I here? And we see, you know, people strategically locate themselves behind goalposts at football games, behind soccer nets, behind the goal in soccer, whether it's hockey or home plate. We've seen people strategically place themselves there holding up a sign that says what? John 3.16. Tim Tebow even used to wear John 3.16 under his eyes when he played football. You can also see the verse referenced on the bottom of the cup from In-N-Out Burger. Now, most of you probably In-N-Out Burger, 
Well, In-N-Out Burger, in order to get it, it's this big thing. People say they absolutely love it. They're supposed to be like the best burgers ever, but you got to go out west, you know, Texas, uh, Texas, Colorado, Utah, Arizona, Oregon. You got to go out there to get them. Now, of course, I'd ask my daughter, you know, she used to live in Texas, are they worth it? And she said, they're highly overrated. Of course, I see all these different videos where people are like, oh my God, it's the best burger ever. And it's like people in California. So I kind of take that with a grain of salt. Um, but, but they actually, on the bottom of their cups, they have John 3.16 referenced on the bottom of their cups, on the bottom of their drink cups. You know, in a particularly weird way, professional wrestler Stone Cold Steve Austin took John 3.16 and made it Austin 3.16 because Stone Cold said so. That's for you, Alfredo. <laughs> and even when you think about it, and I know some of you may have heard of it, some of it not, but, but little Nas X released what was going to be called Satan Shoes. And his Satan Shoes supposedly had real blood inside of them, were made with blood. And of course, he got all of this backlash from what he was going to do. So when he started trolling people on Twitter, he actually said he was going to offset it by making a pair of Chick-fil-A John 316 sneakers you know, to kind of offset what he was doing. So it's just crazy. So we know that John 3.16, it's a mainstay in popular culture. We see it all the time, but the question is, do people really know what it means? Do people really understand the context? And even some of us as Christians, do we really know the whole context of when Jesus told this to Nicodemus? And what it really means, and does it really affect our lives? Or do we just kind of go over, yeah, we know what it says, we believe it, and we move on. But do we ever really dig into it? So what I want to do is look at how it really applied when Jesus said it to Nicodemus, when Nicodemus came to him by the dark of night. So with that being said, we're going to have you have your Bibles, John chapter 3, we're still there. And we're going to read verses 1 through 21. All right, so let's go ahead and dig in. It says, There is a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time to be born? Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The winds blow where it pleases, and you hear its sound but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it, so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can these things be, said Nicodemus? Are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things, Jesus replied? Truly I tell you, we speak that we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. 
Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. The people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. For anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his work may be shown to be accomplished by God. So that's a whole lot. That's a whole lot going on. And in the middle of it, we see this verse that we see plastered all over the place. And everyone knows the verse, but, you know, you got to look at the whole concept of it. And, and the gospel of John presents Nicodemus as someone seeking to better understand Jesus' intention. He's coming to find out what Jesus' intentions are. And the first question I've always asked myself, why did he come at night? Why did he come in the cover of darkness if he wanted to know what Jesus was really about? And, you know, his approaching Jesus' night could have been an attempt of being incognito. He didn't want anyone to see him. If I come at night, there's going to be no one around, so no one will see me as a Jewish leader going to talk to this going to talk to this Jesus, the Son of God, the, the one that people were saying is the Messiah. Or maybe he could have been coming at that point in the day when he figured him and Jesus would be less hindered by crowds around them. So maybe he just figured it that way. Or maybe it was just the time that Nicodemus had available. Maybe he was busy. Maybe he was a busy guy and the only time he could get away from, you know, from the Jewish leadership is to go at night. You know, really don't know, but William Barclay actually says this. He, in the Gospel of John Study Bible, in, in the Logo software, he offers up this. He says, the rabbis declared that the best time to study the law was at night when it could be done undisturbed. Throughout the day, Jesus was surrounded by crowds of people all the time. It may well be that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night because he wanted an absolutely private and completely undisturbed time with Jesus. So every one of these reasons kind of sound plausible. You know, you could kind of, okay, well, I could agree with that. Maybe that's it, or maybe this is it. And however, I got to ask that question. How many of us still only approach Jesus in the dark or over the cover of darkness? You know, we don't come to him out in the brightness of the day where everyone can see it. We, we kind of come later at night. And, and maybe as Christians, we're some incognito Christians. Maybe we're just a little incognito, you know, not wanting to be seen for our faith or maybe not wanting to be called out for our faith because, you know, people in church see us one way on Wednesdays and Sundays, but people in the world and people that know us know how we really are. So maybe we're incognito Christians and, and we only talk about Jesus on Sundays and Wednesdays and we live an alternate lifestyle someplace else. 
and we live of the world and, and we can't go talk to people about Jesus because Lord knows they know my life and they're going to call me out. So maybe that could be a reason. You know, each one of us has a different story. But let's continue so we can understand Nicodemus a little bit more. We can see that he didn't understand the, the phrase born again or born anew. Uh, when Jesus told him he had to be born anew is the way the King James says it, which basically means that from above, and, and it simply doesn't make sense to him. How can I be born again? How can I be born anew? So he kind of veers in this other direction. And, and, and I think when Jesus said it was necessary uh, to be born anew or born again, I really don't think Nicodemus understood what he was talking about. I think he misunderstood him. You know, and unfortunately in the English language and in, you know, we have certain words for certain things. However, when you go back to the ancient Greek or even the Aramaic or Hebrew, words mean so much more. And the word here for anew, you know, born anew, actually has three different meanings in the Greek. One of it is it can mean from the beginning. So being born again from the beginning or some completely radical kind of being born again. Um, it can mean, of course, again, in the sense that be born again uh, for a second time. And it can also mean from above or therefore from God. So I think a lot of times when we look at this and we're thinking, well, how could Nicodemus do this? I just think he misunderstood it because we don't have an English word that can put all three meanings of that under one word. We're going to need multiple words to kind of say this, this, or this. But ultimately, when you look at being born anew or being born again, all three of these are actually in there. All three of them are in there because we know to be born again, it's got to be this radical change in us. It's got to be this radical new birth, you know, and, and it requires something to happen to our souls. It requires something to happen from the inside, which can only be described as being born again or being born over. Um, and the whole process, we know we can't do it. It's not a human achievement. It's nothing that we can do on our own. We can't be born again. We, we can't achieve this by ourselves. It has to come from the power of God. So we can see that all three of the different meanings of the word born anew fall into this. And to try and explain it in a single English word is kind of hard to do. You know, and I think Nicodemus, as well as other people's confusion, may even stem from sadness. You know, think about before you were a believer or even just back in the day, you know, you know I think in our heart we have this, this place in the past that was just this unsatisfied longing before we came to know Jesus Christ. Wherever we may have been in our life, we had this, this longing or it was just this unsatisfied longing. And I think that Nicodemus in his in this infinite or wistful, his yearning for, I need something. Something's not right. I don't have an inner peace. I need something more. You know, and I think he kind of just was like, look, you know, I think, you know, you're talking about this being born anew. You talk about this radical or fundamental change. You know, I, I don't understand it. And I think we've all been in that same place at one point or the other. I know there's something missing, but I don't understand. What's this born again thing? 
What do you mean I have to change? What do you mean I have to do this? And even though we know it's necessary, it's that experience that we feel that it's maybe a little impossible. It's impossible to change. You see, there's nothing more that Nicodemus probably wanted and even us back before we accepted Christ. Nothing more we wanted, but, but you might as well tell us we need to, as a grown person, go back into my mom's womb and be born again. Because he's talking about this change, this radical change in you to be born again, become a new creation, become a new person. And, and understand, I know the desire is there because we all had that desire one time. But it's the question of, is this really possible? Is it really possible for God to take me, me, this messed up, jacked up person? Is it possible for him to take me and make me born anew? Or born again. And you see, I think all of us can see Nicodemus. We can all feel what he's been going through at some point or another. Because we all understand that, that whole concept of, you know, this internal problem and, and saying, you know, I, I know I need to change, but. You see, we always put that but in there. That but always gets in the way. But I know me, that my past me, there's no way I can do this. I know my current me, there's no way I can do this. You see that me inside of us gets in the way of us saying, you know, Lord, I understand and I got this feeling, but I, I can't do this born again thing. I can't be born anew because I don't understand it. Because it is a radical transformation from the inside out. And it can only come from God. And, and we have to fight them, own them battles inside of us because we know us. I know me. I know the past me very well. Every one of us knows the past me very well. And every one of us at some point had that yearning and we're sitting here today in church because we realized that that yearning was Jesus Christ. And, and we've come to, come to know him as our savior. And we've done that born anew. But it still don't make it easy. It's still a struggle each and every day. We still fight that battle, you know, and I think it's interesting that John 3, 16 tells us God so loved the world. God so loved the world. Now, of course, when, when they say world, it's not the world we think of. God so loved the world. It's not that globe that's sitting in your house. It's not what we think of when we think of the earth. You know, it's not everyone singing Kumbaya under trees. When he talks about God so loved the world, he is talking about that alienated part of the world. Not just the good part. He's talking about the whole entire world. Even that part that's alienated, that undeserving world that has nothing to do with God. Wants nothing to do with him. He still loved them. He still loved them. And think, you know, I know I've been there. I've been to that part of the world. I've lived in that part of the world for a little while, that undeserving running from God, I don't want nothing to do with him stage. I've been there. But God still loved me when I was there. He still loved me when I was there. It goes on to say that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's where that hope comes in. That's where that hope comes in. Whosoever. I'm a whosoever. 
I am a whosoever. And I'm a whosoever that's from that world that he loves so much. And I know some of y'all, well, actually, I know a lot of y'all are whosoever's. That we're also part of that world that he loves so much because of our past life. And he accepted us right where we were. Why? Because he loved the world. He loved us. He loved us, yes, even when we didn't love him. We didn't love him. We didn't care about him. We ran from him. We were doing things we shouldn't have been doing, but he still loved us. And thank God I'm a whosoever. Because thank God I'm a whosoever. But you see, as a whosoever, we, we, get, that, we get that hope that comes with it. And sometimes hope comes in ways that we don't fully understand. You know, we, we sometimes hope from us as we can see it through, through the scripture. Sometimes hope comes in different ways. You know, maybe hope come to, come to you through Celebrate Recovery. Maybe it came to you through AA or NA. Maybe hope came to you by someone buying you a cup of coffee. Hope comes in different ways for each one of us. But all of us at some point needed hope to be able to turn to know that God loved us right where we were at. And it took that hope to know it. And, and like I said, sometimes hope comes in ways we don't expect. And I think perhaps one of the best stories of hope that I've seen during this whole pandemic came from Mackenzie Scott. And if you don't know who Mackenzie Scott is, she is the ex-wife of CEO, Amazon CEO, Jeff Bezos. So she is a multi-billionaire. She's a multi-billionaire. She got a whole lot of money through, through her divorce. But her giving came at a time when people thought there was no hope. Just like Nicodemus. He didn't think there was any hope. And she recently, recently actually said this. Uh, Mackenzie said this. This pandemic has been a wrecking ball in the lives of Americans already struggling. Economic losses and health outcomes alike have been worse for women, for people of color, and for people living in poverty. Meanwhile, it has substantially increased the wealth of billionaires. Now, this is a billionaire saying this. So she got it. She, she, she understood it. And instead of just saying these words, she went out and she did something about it. She actually went out and did something, and her generosity was felt in West Texas. Um, she gave a $9 million gift to the Lubbock YWCA. So she gave them $9 million, and they recently upgraded and got into a new building where now they're um, transforming this, doing transformation in the surrounding neighborhoods. They're really getting out there and reaching the women in the impoverished area, and, but that wasn't all. She donated to 44 different food banks around the United States. She made donations to 30 different Meals on Wheels affiliates. She donated to Easter Seals National Office and 22 affiliates. And when I read that, I was like, Easter Seals? I ain't heard Easter Seals in a while. I guess they're still out there. So Easter Seals, she donated to 45 different United Ways and not to be overlooked, she donated $560 million to historically black colleges. And she's already put a pledge out there to give away even more, to help people who are in need. 
And there's two things that have to be noticed when you look at all this as she's given away. First, the gift was unrestricted. It was an unrestricted gift. In other words, the organization got to use the money how they saw fit. She didn't want her name on a building. She didn't want anything in her name. She, there was no oversight from outsiders, nothing at all. She trusted the organization's leadership to do the right thing with the money. She didn't want to go back. She, didn't, she wanted nothing for it except to be able to give it away. And second, these funds went to organizations that according to due diligence from her team had track records of achievement in their neighborhoods and in their areas. So she looked for places that were actually doing what they said they were doing. Now, now you know, it, she didn't spend it at Ivy League schools. She didn't give it to big-time healthcare companies. And, you know, I'm not bashing them. They're good things. But her driving, her driving ambition was to give it to places who had the low ability to get benevolent capital. For, to get this kind of giving. She looked for places that were doing and transforming people's lives that other people weren't giving donations to because they wanted a name on a building or this or something else. She did what was right. She brought hope to the hopeless in a time when they needed it. Each one of us can do the same thing. Now, no, we're not all billionaires. We're not billionaires like she is. But you never know how God's going to use one of us to bring hope to someone's life. Remember, that hope could be a cup of coffee. A cup of coffee with scripture on it. Make sure you understand it. It could be anything. It could be giving them a meal. Giving someone a couple of dollars. Once you give it to them, it's in their hands, not yours. But we never know what someone needs at the time. <clears throat> You never know how God's going to use you. And we, we may not always feel like it. We may not always see it. But God can use each one of us to give someone else hope so that then they can see the hope that comes through Jesus Christ. <clears throat> the hope that, that you can help others because God so loved the world. God so loved the world. That means he loved the unlovables. He loved us. He loved the unlovables in loving the world. And you know, it may seem kind of impossible for us. You mean I got to love the unlovable? I got I to gotta really love this person, pastor? Yeah. We got to love them because Jesus loved us. We were one of them whosoever. And we got that hope from him because he loved us. Who's a whosoever in your life? that you need to show that love to. And that then you can take them back and have them read John three sixteen and be able to say, look, this was my hope because I was this whosoever. But God still loved me right where I was at. See, I think a lot of times we read that verse and it's like, yes, amen. God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. It is the gospel in a nutshell. And I think we glaze over it way too often. Does it really affect your life? Do you really look at that and understand that you are a whosoever? He loved you right where you were at. Thank God. Thank God he loved me right where I was at. I say it all the time. We're messed up and we're jacked up, but we're loved. 
None of us are perfect and none of us will ever be perfect until we meet Jesus face to face. We just continue going through this life with the hope that we, we're going and doing what's right. We have that hope in it. You know, it's, and even the loving one another. You know, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. We're called to love one another as Jesus loved us, that radical pursuing type of love. And Billy Graham was doing a question and answer, and they asked him the question about loving the unlovable. And we all know Billy Graham had a way of speaking. And Billy Graham actually said this. In other words, love isn't just an emotion or a feeling. Loving someone means that we care what happens to them and we want it to be something good. This is the kind of love God has for us. It's the kind of love he wants us to have for others. This is the kind of love God has for us, and it's the kind of love he wants us to have for others. Do we have that love? All the time? No. I'll, I'll be the first to admit it. No. Nope. And I'm the pastor. So, so if I don't get it and I don't love that way, don't feel bad if you don't love that way. I know y'all are better Christians than me and all that. I understand that. You know, I already admitted to being a hoarder this morning. But that's the kind of love we need to have. We've all been called to this new life. We've all been called to have eternal life, that we shall never perish. Of course, it doesn't mean it doesn't go without questions. We still have questions, just like Nicodemus. We still have questions, and we're trying to find out what Jesus is all about. Think about right before this verse, Jesus told the story of Moses, how he made a serpent. If you remember, back when they were going through the desert, they disobeyed God, and then they had vipers and snakes that came out and that were poisonous and started killing the people. So the people cried to God because they were dying, and God tells Moses to build this bronze snake and put it in the middle of the nation of Israel, and whenever someone got bit by the snake, they had to look towards this bronze serpent, and they were healed. And then you think, well, right after this, he says, for God so loved the world that whosoever, you know, that he gave his only begotten son. You're like, well, how does this work? It gave them hope and something to look to. It had to be raised up and they had to look up to see it. Just as we today have to look up to see the Messiah. We have to look up to see Jesus. He said the son of God must be raised up so we see it. But it's kind of weird when you're like, well, wait a minute, he's talking this and this and this. And sometimes we get confused, just like I got to be born again. I got to be born anew. How's that all work? It's a radical transformation from the inside out. And we've got to be willing to be born again and accept Jesus. And I like the end of it. Light will bring out the darkness. Light will bring out the darkness. We've all been in darkness. We've all lived there. We've all, some of us have hung out there for a long time. And then we see the light. I see the light. Hopefully it wasn't a train coming at you. But that light brings out what's in the darkness. It brings out the sin that's in our life so that we see it and that we realize we need to change. 
that we need to be born again. We need to radically be fundamentally changed from the inside out to be born again or born anew. We're going to struggle. We're going to question it. But we need to continue to move forward. You know, much of our life is walking at a pace that brings into view the difficulties and the tragedies that we've seen in our life. You know, we, we celebrated the 20th anniversary of 9-11. The tragedies, we, we, they're always there. And I think sometimes we long for that change that happened right after that. There was a change that happened in the U.S. There was a pride that happened. And as much as we say we remember, I think a lot of people have forgotten and have forgotten what happened on that day in the months and years following that. I think we have forgotten that. What makes John 3.16 so profound? It's our clear response to how it is possible to be born anew. Because with God's love comes new life. And each one of us received a new life because of what God did. Because he loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. We got that new life because of him. So now that we understand that God loved the world through this selfless, costly love, even when the world was lost, even when we were hostile towards him, how can we obey God's command to love our part, our part of our family, our part of the world, our city, our community, our neighborhood? How can we now show that same type of love? And I think we do this not in the sense that we conform ourselves to it, but in the sense that we serve sacrificially in order to bring the light of Jesus into the world around us. We got to continue to move forward, continue with that hope that we have. And no, it's not just a sign behind a goalpost. John 3.16 means so much more than that. And it's a matter of us truly living it each and every day. Because I think a lot of the times, like I said, it's one thing to put it on a coffee mug or a t-shirt or see it posted up. Does it affect and change our lives? Do we still get that hope from that verse? Do we still realize that we were a whosoever? And he loved us right where we were at. Love the unlovable. Just as we need to love the unlovable. And maybe you're here and you're like, you know, pastor, uh, I don't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But, but, but I want that hope. I want that hope because I see that he loves me. He loves me right where I'm at. Even though I'm not perfect, I haven't got it all together, and, and, and I need that. Well, let me tell you, if you haven't accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, we can lock that down today. Because God's Word says that we all sin and we all fall short of the glory of God. But it also says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Because He loves you right where you're at. 
For God so loved the world that whosoever, become a whosoever. He did that for me. And then you need to live your life for him. And understand, even if you come up here and you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the world's not going to change. When you leave here, it's going to be the same world that you were in. The difference is going to be you. Let God radically transform your life. Become born anew in him. And maybe you just need to rededicate it and say, you know, I've been living this life and I've been playing Christian. You know, you, you, I put this mask on on Sundays and Wednesdays, and, but I'm that incognito Christian. You only see it in church on Sundays and Wednesdays because I can't be like this during the week, Pastor, because my people know me. Well, your people need to know Jesus. And your people need to know that you're a Christ follower. And maybe you just need to rededicate your life and say, Lord, I need to be all in. Or maybe you just need some prayer. Maybe it's been a rough week. Maybe you're struggling with something and you forgot that God loved you right where you're at. You just need to come up and pray and give it to God. I don't know what it is, but each of us do. And let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you love the world. We thank you that you loved the whole world, not just the good parts, Lord. Lord, and we're so truly thankful for that because not all of us are good. We're inherently sinful and in this sinful flesh but yet you loved us right where you were, right where we were. And Lord, I thank you that we are whosoever's, that whosoever believeth in him will have eternal life. I'm a whosoever, Lord, and I'm grateful for that. Lord, I ask that you continue to be with this congregation, Lord, for and if there's anyone who don't know you, that they will come to know you and meet you today, Lord and that you will radically make them be born anew, that you will change their heart and change their path, that they will glorify you. And Lord, we thank you for who you are. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.